Hey, a quick note before we jump into this episode. Here at Leading Saints, we are trying to do more How I Lead interviews. Now, what's a How I Lead interview? You've probably heard them before. It's where we find everyday leaders around the world who are serving in one capacity or another, maybe an elder scorn president, Relief Society president, the ward mission leader, high counselor, stake presidency counselor, so many different callings of leadership that we have in our faith tradition. And we like to sit down with them one-to-one and just say, how is it that you lead? Give us a few principles, put it into perspective. What's your area like? And these turn into phenomenal resources of best practices. And it's just always fun to hear what the other guy is doing. So if you know somebody who we could interview on the How I Lead segment, regardless of their calling, we would love to connect with them. Go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us the information, maybe get, give them a heads up, and we'd love to reach out to them, connect, and see if we can get them on the Leading Saints podcast for one of our How I Lead segments. Again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us the information. All right, I'm here with Cheryl. Cheryl, tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, and why you support Leading Saints. Oh, uh, my name is Cheryl White. I'm from Fresno, California, and I support Leading Saints because it's just such a great opportunity to hear different thoughts, different ideas to help me expand the way I think about both members of the church, those outside of the church, and ways of just living you know, an interesting full life while appreciating all the different kinds of people that are all Heavenly Father's children, and uh, just to participate in the wonderful things the world has to offer. Hey, welcome back. This is Kurt with the Leading Saints podcast. I am in my new office. That's right. We finally moved into our home in Stansbury Park, Utah. All my Stansbury Park people, reach out. Let's connect. I'm your neighbor now. So if you don't know, Stansbury Park is out towards Twila. We'll be here for a while, folks. But if you're new to Leading Saints, you don't care about where I live. What you care about is what this podcast is all about. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to to lead. And we do that through creating content. That's why we have this podcast. We have thousands of articles at leadingsaints.org and a weekly newsletter. We have virtual summits we put together, a lot of fun stuff, insightful information from experts, real-life leaders, everyday leaders. It's just fun. So we're glad you are here. In this episode, I talk with Clint Pulver. If you don't know Clint Pulver, I consider him a friend. He is awesome. What he's doing in life, he is living his larger story in ways that make me get up in the morning and say, I got to keep up with Clint Pulver. He's doing some great stuff. He just wrote a book called I Love It Here, How Great Leaders Create Organizations Their People Never Want to Leave. And obviously he wrote it for a, just a you know general leadership audience. But this book is so helpful, could be so helpful for leaders in the church to say, you know what, how do great leaders create wards and quorums and Relief Society organizations, their people never want to leave. And uh, we discuss these, some of these principles here. We don't give it justice. His research and all the things that went into this book, you've got to check it out. It drops in April. And uh, so go pre-order now if it's not April 2021 yet, and uh, you're going to love it. But just a fantastic conversation. In the beginning, we're sort of, uh, <laughs> I hope you don't, we're sort of, uh, you know, beating around these principles a little bit and trying to, to fill out some running room here. And sometimes it can come across that we're sort of coming down hard on leaders or, you know, they got to do this differently that, hey, just step back and listen with an open heart. And that's at the end of the day, you know, maybe we don't know what we're talking about and you can move on to other principles, but it's such a good book, well-researched. Here's my interview 
with Clint Pulver, the author of I Love It Here. So here I am with uh, Clint Pulver, the former guest of, of the Leading Saints podcast. How are you, Clint? I'm doing really well, Kurt. Thanks for having me back. Well, I couldn't resist having you back. You just came out with a book and a book that I love, has love in the title as well, called I Love It Here, How Great Leaders Create Organizations Their People Never Want to Leave. And we talked a little bit about this on, uh, on our first interview. I think we touched on some broader principles, but just tell us about this journey. Like, How's it been writing a book and uh, how's everybody responding to it? I will never do it again. <laughs> that is right. Oh, it has been the hardest thing probably in my life. It's been four years. And I think here's the thing. It's one thing to write a book, but then when you tie research into it, it's just a whole nother ball of craziness. Yeah. So this was 181 organizations that I've worked with in over four years. I've interviewed over 10,000 employees undercover. And so it was a, the program called the Undercover Millennial Program. It's kind of like Undercover Boss without the makeup. And myself being a millennial, I would go into these organizations as someone who was looking for a job. And I would just walk up to the first person I saw and I would say, hey, what's it like to work here? I'm just, I'm thinking about applying, you know, would you recommend it? And then the employee always yeah. gets quiet. You know, they look around and it feels like an illegal drug exchange. And then they tell me everything, everything, the good, the bad, what they love, what they hate, why they hate it, why they love it. And the cool part is, you know, I got honesty. I got authentic answers. This was not, I didn't want it to be another leadership book written by a, you know, a leadership expert. I wanted the book <laughs> yeah. to be written through the lens of 10,000 employees who knew when their leaders were getting it right. And it yeah. was just, yeah, it was so much work, but it was so cool because their stories were told. They didn't know that they were being told, but they were told. Yeah. And and, you know, and then, and that's why I called the book. I love it here is when that would trend in an organization, when yeah. I would go to the first employee, then the second and the third, and they would say, I love it here. You got to apply. I love my manager, Susie. She's amazing. You need to apply. And then when I would find out what those leaders were doing to create that type of a response in their organization. And so yeah, and, that's why I called and, it. And as I read through the book, I just so much appreciated the parallels I saw from, you know, obviously you're right in the context of, you know, business organizations or, you know, organizations in general, but there's so many parallels to church organization. And, and it's interesting. We talked a little bit about this before we hit record of, of the dynamic in the church, in our church, as far as loving your ward, right? And there's, there's moments and I'm moving into a ward right now. And, and, you know, there's, and I've been in other wards. I haven't felt it from this ward. This seems, seems like a great ward, but, you know, you move into a ward and you sort of say, how is it? How is it here? Or how's the primary or whatever? And, and maybe you're in a casual setting and people might say like, all right, listen, you know, it's great that, you know, the primary presidency struggles or whatever, and, or, you know, whatever the, the issue is. And so, but in our, in our church dynamic, it's interesting because we sort of don't have a choice. Like a, you know, someone running a business, it's like, oh, well, we got to make sure our people love it here because they can quit tomorrow and go work somewhere else. Where in the church is sort of like, well, you live here, you're going to have to move. And unfortunately, people do sometimes move to get away from the ward. And so, but sometimes we take it for granted that, you know, we're, you know, I, I'm a church leader, I'm not experienced. So, you know, I, I'll do my best, but you you have to attend here regardless. So, you know, and so I appreciated some of those parallels. Do you see some of these in, in your own experience in the church? Yeah, totally. I mean, in, in, even on the business sense, like I would go, I would work with a Verizon and I would go into one Verizon store and it would be amazing. And then I'd go into another Verizon store, literally four blocks down the street. And their retention was so low, disengaged employees, people hated their job, turnover was constant. 
And you mm. see that in the church, right? You have those people where you're like, man, I just, our ward is so good. Like I'm in the best ward that I've ever been in. And then you, you, you do have it. It's like, nah, this ward's okay. It's not like our last ward. Like I remember in mm-hmm. singles wards, like every singles ward, hour by hour, it's in the same chapel, it's in the same building, but they <laughs> all had a different culture. It's the same gospel, different culture. It comes down to leadership. It comes down to those decisions that the leaders are making in that chapel, in that ward, that yes, obviously we're teaching the same gospel, but there's more to it than that when we're trying to create a good culture in our ward. And that's what I want to do during this interview is maybe explore some of those concepts that will hopefully push people to, to check out the book. But you know, what are some, some basic things that people can do to start doing things differently so that people begin to say, you know, this is, this is where I want to be? Because you know? there's this quote in, in, uh, you put in the book that says, the reality is if your people can't grow where they are, they will leave and grow somewhere else. And again, that doesn't mean that they'll leave the ward and go somewhere else, but they may leave mentally, you know, or they may leave culturally and say, I, I show up for sacrament, but I'm not engaging here in the ward, right? Dude, I guarantee you right now, Kurt, there are so many members of the church that unfortunately, and maybe this could just be a bad perception. This is not research. This is just my own like observations of where I'm at right now in our stake and in our ward. I think there's many, many, many members. The only time that they're really connecting with Christ, they really are associating with our ward is for that 60 minutes on Sunday during your, your virtual sacrament meeting. Mm-hmm. No, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Like when, when else are we meeting? What else are we doing? Like, I think engagement is at an all time low. And yes, we have come follow me. Yes, you need to be doing stuff at home. Yes, you should still be ministering. But there is something about us gathering together, having the connection, seeing your neighbors more than once every six months that helps to create that. So, so first of all, I, we need to call a spade a spade. It's just hard right now. Yeah. Like there's, yeah. there's bishops, there's stake presidents that are listening to this and they're like, yeah, dude, I get it. I remember how it was before, but it's not the same way right now. And it is just tough. And I, so I think like first, like admitting that, like be okay with realizing that it's not the way it used to be, but also be open to the possibilities that we can change a few things. I mean, and you're right. Like the quote that you you talked about, like millennials, the younger generation, they can go to Google. Like, why should they go to virtual church? Why should they sit (laughs) in on virtual young men's thing? You're going to sit there and ask some awkward questions and hang out and talk about careers. Like why, why would they do that when they can go and just get the answers on Google? So the point I guess I'm trying to make first off is that everybody right now, whether you're in the church or in an organization, most people are asking that community, let me know when it gets to the part about me. And some leaders hear that and they go, well, those entitled little, you know, (laughs) but it's not so much about entitlement as it is about good business, right? About bringing the spirit into our wards, bringing community into our wards, bringing a place where people have a friend, right? Where they're seen, they're heard, they're understood. And so I think, you know, just that simple perspective shift when we realize that, okay, it's easy to say like, this is the gospel. We have the gospel. We have the eternal salvation, the principles, the ordinances, the keys. Why wouldn't you come and be a part of that? But also remembering, okay, well, I need to capture your heart. I still need to make sure you have a friend. I still need to make sure that the the soft skills, the intangibles are being focused on. My family, we got COVID. We had it for, obviously we did the whole 10 day quarantine thing. It killed me. It floored me. And the thing I remember the most is not being quarantined, not binging Netflix. I remember President Budge, my stake president, picking up the phone. Okay, doesn't a phone sound so 2018? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? A phone? Like, he didn't Zoom call me. He, he didn't uh-huh. text me. He didn't send me an email in the, on LDS tools. He didn't, no, he called me. 
And he said, hey, listen, I'm not calling to talk about high council stuff. I'm not talking to, I, I just want to know how you're doing. I heard you and the family are struggling. I know you had a little baby in the NICU. What do you need? What do you need? How can we help you? We are here to help you. That's the moment I remember. That's the moment I treasure. And I will not forget that. And yeah, he runs really great meetings. Yes, we have really awesome state conference get-togethers. And yes, our missionary work is doing awesome. But I remember when he got to the part about me. And did that take him time? Yes. Did it take some effort out of his workday and the busy schedule that he already has? Yes. But it was a moment that I think I have seen time and time again that when great leaders do that, when they create those little moments of connection, the intangibles, and they get to the part about their members, it builds a stronger culture. It builds loyalty. We get to the people, not just about the gospel. It's the people within the gospel that I think makes it such a beautiful thing. Yeah. And and I noticed that one of the anchoring principles of your book is this concept of connection. Like people really need a connection there, a personal connection, a real connection, right? And so, you know, getting to the part about them, right? Or the person that's that's in your uh, ward, quorum, organization, whatever it is, like that's, I mean, it's easier said than done. Like where, where would you tell people to start? Like leaders, where could they start to really make it a part, make it about them? Well, because it goes, no, 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 Chris, it's, it's about Jesus. All right. We got to make it about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes like as leaders, we stand in front of a fireplace and we say, give me heat, then I'll give you wood. Uh-huh. Like we, we kind of go, well, well, don't you know that we have the ordinances and the same principles? Like, why would you not come? Come to church. That's so, that's so weird. When again, it's like giving people a reason to, cause yes, it is a community. That's like, like a, I don't know. I, I speak to kids a lot and sometimes people think it's weird that like I start out funny or I start out with some humor and they're like, well, why don't you just go in and start talking about the gospel? It's like, I've got to open up that window. I have to give them a reason to connect with me. Then I can influence. Then we can talk about Jesus. Then we can talk about gospel. But again, it's getting to the part about them. So I think obviously there's your obvious first answers of, you know, going to your ward council. A lot of churches, wards, stakes are doing surveys right now. They're asking their people, you know, are you having come follow me at home? How are your virtual sacrament meetings? You know, what would you like to see more from us? Like those are some very obvious things, you know, picking up the phone, right? In their ward councils, who are the three people that were the most worried about? Which families? And then pick up the phone and call them. You know, and if if social distancing right now, I know it's a little bit of a weird time, but you know, maybe it's not just knocking on the door and say, hey, can we come in and talk and see how you're doing? But drop off some cookies, you know, write a note. Those little things, I think, go a long ways. And again, we're in a weird time. So there's only so much that we can do, but those little efforts matter. Yeah. And, and I love that as you talk about it in the book is, you know, in order to get to the connection part, you sort of have to step back and take an assessment. You s- said in the book, if you don't know why your people are leaving, you won't know what you need to change to entice them to stay. To stay. Now, obviously, you're talking in the context of like a, a business organization. and But there are people that leave the church. And sometimes you think, huh, like, I don't get it. Right. You just mentioned like, we have all the, we got the keys. We have the restored gospel. I mean, this is, why would they leave? Right. And so, to really understand how to build connection, you have to step back and ask yourself some tough questions to assess your organization. You know, what is it you offer to your organization? So anything you'd add to that as far as assessing your organization so you know where to begin to, to develop that connection or, or to work. I think sometimes like as leaders and especially leadership in the church, it's kind of like the age old adage of like, if you feed a man a fish, then you feed him for a day. Mm-hmm. But if you can teach him, if you teach the man to fish, then you feed him for a lifetime. Every time I hear that, I go, who said the guy wanted a fish? <laughs> who said the guy wanted a fish? Like, I'm not really a fish guy. I don't like fish. 
but the, the principle is, is again, asking people, right? And again, in, Reve- in, in Revelation and church, and you, you have the keys and you are being guided. But again, remember, we have to get buy-in from the individuals that we're guiding. Yes, you have Revelation and you have the opportunity to, to be given that, which is great. But again, it's, it's helping, it's opening up the window for that to happen. I had a, a bishop that he just drived missionary work. You know, and that was a lot of the stakes agenda. You got to drive missionary work, missionary work, missionary work, missionary work. What the members really wanted was award activity. They just wanted award activity and they hadn't planned an activity forever. And so it, it's, again, it's, it's taking a minute to go, okay, I know there's like the vision of what I want, but also consider what the people want. And that's where the ward councils come in, where you do more listening than you do talking. And I think that pays, that pays off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's this interesting dynamic in the church, which is incredible and, and a wonderful blessing as that is, you know, many leaders giving keys or we're functioning under keys to receive inspiration, to know how to move forward. And sometimes uh, there's that bishop or someone who says, it's missionary work. Like I'm going to plant my flag in missionary work and that's where I'm taking the ward, you know, and, yes. and you get momentum, you're excited, but you never ask the ward like, well, do you want to be a part of missionary work? Because maybe some will think, I don't necessarily want to go that direction. Like I'm busy with other things that are taking me a different direction, right? And so that doesn't mean you have to not do missionary work, but you have to reconcile that gap between where you want to take the ward and what they want. Because if you take them somewhere they don't want to go, it's going to be a long drag, a long haul, right? There is always clear distinctions between leadership, like traditional leadership versus mentorship. Hmm. For example, like when an employee hated their job, they talked about the manager. But when an employee loved their job, they talked about the mentor. And the same thing I think happens in the church. Like I look back at some of the most influential leaders in my life, Relief Society presidents, bishops, mission presidents, stake presidents, even elders quorum teachers, primary teachers, like people that really made a difference in my life. They were really mentors more than they were leaders. And sometimes that traditional leadership view of you plant the flag, right? You are the leader. What's the vision? Where are you going to take the ship? Where mentorship is about what are you doing for the people on the ship? How are you taking care of the people on the ship? How are you getting to the part about them? How are you connecting individuals to the Savior, not just the ward as a whole? And so it was really beautiful to see when people would talk about that because nobody really talked about the leader. I love our, le- our man, our CEO's vision for the year is amazing. That's why I said <laughs> nobody said that. Nobody said that. What they talked about is the time where the manager, you know, sent flowers to their wife when they were sick. What they talked about was when that was the manager sat down and said, hey, where do you want to go? And how can I get help you get there? I appreciate what you're doing. Let's give you a little bit of a race. Let's help you get where you want to go. It's where a manager took time to connect, right? The phone calls, the little things. And again, we sometimes write it off because it's a soft skill or it's an intangible. But to your people, that is the thing that they remember. That is the thing that they talk about. Yeah. You know, there's sort of this like push and pull dynamic where you sort of have to walk into their worlds so that you can get them to walk into your vision, right? Like if you don't truly understand them, because it's not like, you know, I sort of gave the example earlier. I don't think people are sitting at home like, I don't like, I'm not doing missionary work. It's not my thing or whatever. But it's more of like, you know what? That's great that that leader has that vision and wants to take the ward in that direction or the core. But he's not once tried to come and engage with me yeah. or try and understand my wants and needs. Yes. And even if, and once that leader does that, then they, they'll march into any, any war with them, right? Like they've won them over. They see the trust. They say, great. You know me, you see me, you understand me. Let's go. 
Yeah, there's four types of bishops. And, and we even saw, you know, four types of leaders, four types of managers, right. whatever you want to call them. Four types of elders, quorum presidents, yeah, yeah, relief yeah. society presidents. You, yeah. you have the bishop that's that's removed or you have the relief society president that's removed. She's been in the calling for two years and she's just done. <laughs> no one likes standards, like ministering, like does not report the numbers. Just it, it's, she's busy raising seven children at home. Like she's just not doing that, right? And then on the connection side, she has no time. And so she's just, she's removed. And then second, you find, you know, the buddy. You have the, the, you know, the really good bishops that are really good at being friends with people, but then the, ad, the admin side of the church is a mess. You know, the standards, mm. the development, growing people, you know, even holding people accountable to some part. Yeah. Right? Elder Scorm's drowning because the bishop's not helping to crack the whip to help people get where they need to be or do what they need to do or whatever. Like they're low on standards. So that creates a little sense of entitlement. That's where you have like the Relief Society president is more of the bishop than the bishop is, or you have the, the young women's president that is, is running the show more than anybody else. Because I, I don't know, it's that you're low on standards, high on connections. So there's a little sense of entitlement that, ca- that comes with that. And then third. Yeah. So, and so this is like the, the, the quadrant you're explaining, right? Yeah, like it, totally. On one side, there's, it's high standards, high accountability. And on the other side, it's high love, right? Yeah. And high or, or low and love. Empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Getting yeah, part empathy. about the people. And then you, the third one is the controller. Like they're all about the gospel, the doctrine. I'm not here to be your friend. Like this is the way Jesus wants you to live. So do that. Be perfect, right? It's all about development. It's, it's like obedience, 100% obedience. We are exactly obedient, right? There's no leeway. Mm-hmm. There's, no, uh, there's no real room for connection. So then that creates rebellion, right? We're throwing the book at people instead of remembering that they're people. How do we get to their heart? And, and then four, it was that mentor manager, that mentor Relief Society president, that mentor bishop. They were high on standards, but they were equally high on connection. And that created respect. That was the beautiful formula that really created the opportunity to be influential in people's lives. Yeah. And so it's really that balance of, because especially in the church, we're in a volunteer organization. And so it's like, ugh, like yep. I don't want to push people too hard. They're, they're just volunteering and they've got other, they got families, they got jobs. And so I'm going to just hold back. And then you, you sort of turn into that leader who's like really nice and like, but can't hold anybody accountable because he feels like he'll lose them if they hold them, if they get held accountable. And so it's, right. it's a lot of love, but it's like, oh, you didn't do that for the fourth time I asked you. Okay. Hey, no problem. Yeah. You know, let's yeah. give it another go this week. Yeah. Right. Yes. And uh, nothing ever happens. Yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah. but And you remember, right. You can look back in your, your church life. You remember the really awesome bishops. You remember the great Relief Society presidents. The great, my, my, man, the young men's leaders that I had where, you know, if I was late or I wasn't getting somewhere or I need, like, they would crack the whip on me. They'd be like, come on, Pulver, what's your deal? Also <laughs> loved me. Yeah. Made sure that I was, I don't know. It was just. Because right. you can't go there unless you've established that foundation. Exactly. Because if you do, then they'll, they'll just rebel. Yeah, right? You have to build relationships so strong that honesty can exist, but you have to make those deposits of trust, right? And that allows you to withdraw more, but it's like the bank account principle and. Yeah. Yeah. It matters. Yeah. Withdrawals and uh, deposits, right? Yeah. Always happen yeah. in, in relationships. So there, here's what I'm, I'm picking up as we go through this, because I want to make sure people, sometimes we can throw these principles around, they sort of get lost in the principles and they're like, okay, but what does that, what does that mean to me today? 
if you know from what I learned from the book, like the first place I would start is just that. Okay, I'm, I need an assessment of some type. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be a survey. Maybe it is a survey. Maybe I just we just get our ward council together and say, okay, what are you seeing? Like, yes, let's really dig in here. Yes, let's analyze everything. Our Zoom sacrament meetings, like, give me your worst. Like, what's working? What's not? Right? You're just sort of unpacking everything, assessing everything, brain dump, and and really really looking at it. Yes, and then again, not that these are in any order, but then as a leader, focusing on that mentorship dynamic of saying, okay, am I just sort of driving the admin train? Is there more I could do to connect? Um, you know, the ministering interviews, how are those going? That's an opportunity to maybe a mentorship there. How can I build this foundation of love in order for then, then I can be help hold people more accountable type thing. So the assessing part, the mentorship part, and we'll move on to where would you want, where would you say we should go next as far as uh, building these building blocks here? Yeah, I think one thing to consider, I think that's really helpful is to, you know, who, do you have the right people in the right places? Mm. You know, do you have a young men's president that's that removed young men's president that you haven't had a young men's get together a, a meeting for the last four months? Like, who do we need to coach out? Right. Maybe there's a time for a change. You know, great leaders, they were really good at putting the right people right in the right positions. But, you know, do, and then do you have someone, maybe do you have a, a Relief Society president or an elders quorum and they're the controller and they are just driving people away. So I think it's, it's not so much, again, yes, your leadership, your influence, your connection one-on-one, but also it's an organization. So do you have the right people in the right places? And this gets really tricky in, in, in our tradition because it's like you, the, the bench is only so long, you know, the, the neighborhood is only so big yes. or, yeah. or the ward yes. is so, so only big. So you can't recruit outside the ward. It's like, well, this is who I got. And and then there's the dam- dynamic on top of that of saying, well, you know, Clint, listen, these are, we prayed about these callings. Mm-hmm. And though that Relief Society president is sort of driving people with, you know, sort of a, a, a heavy hand, like that's who's supposed to be in there. So there's nothing I can do. Yeah. And I think, again, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to depend on the situation, right? Yeah. And revelation changes, situations change, people change. And so I think is yeah. obviously constantly taking it to the Lord and you're looking at, at what's going on. What are the results? Because leadership still does matter. So be open, pray about it. Think, ask, oh, this, do I need to make a change here? Yeah, there's one quote I'm looking for here. Yeah, so this quote here, finding out what a potential employee wants to achieve is an important part of determining whether they're a good fit for their job. Yeah. And I appreciate that, you know, in the context of the church of saying like, you know, sometimes we step into a calling simply because we've been called, but nobody really asked us, do you want to be here? Do you want to do it? And I've one controversial approach I've suggested with callings is sometimes the traditional ways, you know, you ask somebody to come in, they come sit in the, the bishop's office and then the calling's extended and, and this is the first time they've heard about it. And then you're looking for a yes or no, or mainly you're just looking for a yes, because, yeah. you know, this isn't, we prayed about this. And so you should say yes, but yep. If I was to do it again, I would probably first call people and say, hey, listen, Brother Jones, uh, we, we met as a bishopric and uh, we are, we're looking for a new Sunday school teacher and we feel like you've been a good fit for a variety of reasons. We feel good about it. We've prayed about it. But would you take the weekend and just ponder over that, sit with that for a minute, maybe go to the temple, you know, when, when we did that, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And then let's meet next Sunday and just see where we go from here to see if this is something you really want to do. Because 
I may feel inspired to go this direction, but if you don't want to do it, I think that says something that, that yeah. would be worth yeah. talking about. And it's right? a great opportunity right there to also talk about the expectations of the calling. Yeah. You know, like yeah. with the Relief Society president, there's going to be a few things that as the bishop, I'm going to expect you to do like that. We really are looking for as a, or as a stake. We're going to really need you to emphasize this. It's going to take a little bit of time. It's going to take a little bit more effort. You're going to have to work with 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 your counselors. You're going to have to call two more counselors because we just released them. Like giving them a little taste of what you're wanting. It's, you're not just looking for the yes. You're looking for a commitment. You're looking for some buy in there and be real. Yeah. Be, be real. And if they say no, then maybe in the long run, that's that's some some prayers answered, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think giving like people that that invitation of saying, where do you want to be in this organization? Like, do you love the primary? Do you love the the youth? And and again, not that they get to pick their calling, but it's that's really helpful information for like a bishopric or stake presidency to, to consider is like, okay, he actually wants, could, could we find a place for him in the, in the young men's organization? Because that's something that there's a passion there and we could really use that passion in that organization. And that's going to solve so many problems in the future rather than just saying, well, I feel good about this name, let's put him in there. And then you wonder why he he flakes out or doesn't show up because he never wanted to be in there in the first place. He's just trying to be obedient, yeah, right? Yeah, and and too, I think that it's worth saying like, you know, take inventory of your current leadership or where people are at in their callings. And mm-hmm. if you've got that couple that's been in the nursery for four years, like, cons- <laughs> you know, maybe they love it, right? Maybe they're right. just having the time of their lives, but maybe they might be open to a change. I think yeah. sometimes you get a good person and a good calling and they're just killing it. It is easy to keep them there for the next decade. But also, you know, like be willing to change it up. It's okay. Change yeah. it up. Yeah. And again, it goes, then you talk, we'll maybe jump into this here in a second with the, uh, with the status interviews. But I remember as a bishop, you know, I was an inner city ward. We had four, four senior couples assigned to my ward to help me with all things temporal or welfare issues. And I would meet with them on a, each couple on a monthly basis. And the first question I'd always start with is, are you still enjoying your mission? Because if they're not enjoying it, like nothing else matters in this interview yes. or this this interaction. We have to figure out what you don't enjoy and see if there's a way around that. Or And you know, maybe, and I never got to this point with these missionaries, but maybe it gets to a point, maybe in a calling or you have an elders quorum president or a youth leader who's just like, I just... I just don't feel a good fit. You get to a point, you try different things to say, you know what, why don't we find a different place in the ward where you're going to really enjoy that or maybe you need a break or whatever it is, right? And again, create an honest, like an environment where that honesty can exist because there's guilt in this church. I don't care who you are. Anything that deals with Christianity (laughs) and striving to be good and and follow Jesus, you're going to feel a sense of guilt. You're going to feel like you're not always doing your best. And so, you know, to ask somebody, you know, are you, do you still enjoy loving your mission? A lot of people are going to be like, well, absolutely. I'm serving the Lord. Like they're going to give you the, even though they're dying inside. Right. And I, I think, <laughs> yeah. you know, there is a sense of creating an environment where you're like, Hey, listen, I just, I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to feel like you need to give me some canned answer and just create an environment where honesty can exist. Say, I just, I really want to know because I really want to help you. Okay. This is not going to, you're not going to lose celestial points for telling me something that's not a hundred percent, you know, the perfect answer. I'm literally just wanting to know your honest truth on where you're at and what you're feeling. And I just, I just need to know so I can help you. Right. Like that little change, I I think you would maybe get a little bit more of an honest answer. That's going to help you get better results. Okay. So let's go back to, um, talking about sort of these, um, 
you, you call them in the book, this, these status interviews, if, I, if I'm, yeah. yeah, status interviews. Yeah. Yeah. And this, there's a lot of parallels here to ministering interviews, but I also just remember the power of, you know, like I mentioned with that, those missionary couples, like it didn't matter what was happening, uh, what they were dealing with, if they were busy or not. Like we met once a month and there's just this power of a regular meeting of just sitting down. And a lot of times we'd both walk into those meetings thinking, I can't think of one thing that we're going to actually talk about. Like nothing's on the top of my mind, but then we'd walk out 30 minutes later and we talked the whole time, you know, because there was always something that came up or concern or yes. something. And so just this habit of, uh, or the routine of, of meeting with people and saying, okay, how's it going? And then no, really how, like, how's it really going? Are you enjoying this digging in a little bit? And that's part of the assessment process. I would imagine yeah. you get a lot of yeah. information and, out and of it, that. And it supports why, why we do ministering. It's to check in. It's to make sure that we have a pulse on the organization and the people within the organization. The reason I call it a status interview is, I, so I came from the medical field. Uh, a lot of my background after graduating college, I was in the OR and all of the, the, the doctors, everyone referred to status, right? What's the status of the patient? Give me a status update. And what they're referring to is the heart rate, the respiratory rate, the, the body temperature and the blood pressure of the patient. Because those vitals determine how they're going to treat a patient. So in, in this context, you would treat that patient and then you recheck the vitals. And then you treat the patient and you recheck the vitals until we gain a healthy status. And so mm -hmm. the same thing I think in, in wards and in church leadership, in our stakes, in our communities, we should conduct those status interviews. And there was kind of a, this overarching theme of three questions that a leader would ask in some way, shape or form to conduct this and it helped them to get a status check and it wasn't a performance review. Okay. This is not a time where you call in your relief society president or your elders quorum president and you go over the numbers or you talk about the next activity coming up or, or you're not even really talking about individuals in the ward. This is a chance for you to check in on them as a person. And the questions we, 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 we saw is number one is what can we do to keep you here? What can we do to keep you more engaged? What can I do to keep you doing the good work that you're doing? I just want to know what I can do to keep you here. Number two, so what's getting in the way of, of your success? Like, what is it? Is it because, uh, you know, you've got a counselor that's just dragging everything down? Is it, is it because, you know, our, our system that we're using is, is so old, we need to update a few things. Is it long meetings, long meetings, Clint? Yeah. Do I, do I need to announce that we need to do more online tithing because you're staying for two hours doing the, the, yeah. the old, the old <laughs> fashioned approach? Like, what can I do? What's getting in your way? And then, and then the third question is, what can I do to help you get there? So, what can I do to keep you moving, going, engaged? Second, what's getting in the way? And then, third, what can I do as your leader to help you get there? Those three things, I think, opens up a window for you to gain some insight as a leader to help your people to become more connected. Yeah. More and what a great what a great model for a, a ministering interview. Because, you know, elders, quorum presidents, really say presidencies, they know they're supposed to do these interviews, but sometimes it's like, okay, there's a lot of interviews to get through. And uh, they, you know, they walk in like, oh, Brother Pulver, glad you're here. Uh, have a seat. Um, so how are your families doing, right? We just sort of run into the like, well, how are your families doing? But to see it more as of not so much about the families, we'll get to the families and, and we'll make sure we discuss that. But this is a status interview. Like, how are you? You know, like, what's your experience in the quorum? What's getting in your way of really getting excited to come to the elders quorum? You know, whatever it is, but connecting with that person because that's when the mentorship is... Uh, 
is possible, right? Is in that ministering interview, right? It allows you to advocate for people, okay? Not just develop them through the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to advocate for them, right? I think that's the whole role of the Savior. He was an advocate. He is our advocate. And, and so you get, to, you get to be that person. And I think too, this is important with a status interview. It needs to always start with vocal praise. Like you, you go to your Relief Society president, or the Elders Corn president, or whoever within your leadership, and you say, hey, I, I need to talk to you. I need to have a meeting. So let's get it scheduled, uh, you know, reach out to, you know, the secretary and let's, let's get an appointment. Their mind is going to be racing. They're going to be like, oh, gee, what, oh, gosh, Bishop wants to meet with me. Why? Or stake president wants to meet with me. I think when you start with, hey, listen, I just want to check in and make sure you're doing, or that you're doing okay and that I'm doing everything to help you. So I'd love to just set up a meeting on how I can do that better. Right? That's a little different approach. And then when you sit in that meeting, start with vocal praise. Start by telling them, listen, Everything you're doing, how you have helped individuals, everything, uh, you know, the attendance on with our sisters and ministering has grown because of what you're doing, right? If you have really great people in your callings, in your ward, start with vocal praise. And then again, you're then leaning over, how do I keep you here? I want to keep you in this calling because you're doing so great. What can I do to support you? Yeah. When you do that and you open it with that type of communication, you're going to get some really great feedback on how to be better for your people. Yeah, because you're just creating so much safety in that interaction, yeah. right? It's like, yeah. nobody's in trouble here. Like, I just want to get to know you. Like, I am on a, a detective mission here to better understand you and yeah. and what's going on from from your side of, of your eyeballs, right? Yeah. And I love this. Uh, to me, this this tip was worth the, the price of the book right here, Clint, is that you say that as you're in these interactions, repeat what the employee or what the in- individual is saying, you know, as they're saying it. Because yeah. then that really they feel heard, right? They feel like, oh, he repeated back what I said in a way that, or they say, no, 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 that's not what, that's not what I said. Let me, let me clarify. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. And it's not just about talking, right? It's not just about checking out the box that you had a status interview. It's about understanding. It's about communication, good communication. And then you've got to actually follow up on what you said you would jump in and block and help with and yeah. advocate for, because then that, that kills the whole, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves to have the status interview. He loves to talk to us about all the things we need, but nothing ever happens. Yeah. Or he's always just coming down on me, you know, like we meet every month and I have to tell him every time, no, I haven't done my ministering visits, you know, yeah. like, oh, you're back again. Yeah. Like, no, like, yeah. and then he, they just avoid you, yep. right? Yep. They disengage. So, and, and too, and then what you create from that is, you know, on the business side, we would call it a growth development plan. There's something to work towards. Then, you know, there's a lot of meetings where you're like, ah, oh, geez, I have no idea what we're going to talk about in the meeting. You know, ah, oh, geez, we're having another ward council. What do we, you know, do we just go through the same line items? We have the same agenda. How's the Relief Society? Elders Quorum, anything to share? How's the, yeah, it's, it's just, instead, where you could really look at those status interviews, what you've gained from that, and then create a growth development plan with that person in their calling on how to help them succeed in the things that they're needing. Uh, it's just a yeah. great format to keep it rolling, to keep it effective not just having a meeting to have a meeting. Yeah. Anything else as far as status interviews or those interactions that uh, you'd want to add before we, we move on? You know, and it doesn't have to just be the bishop, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to just be the Relief Society president, you know, and invoke the help of other people. Guys do, I sometimes get caught in this as, as I can bury a leader in the things that I say. And that leader is like, oh my gosh, I'm having a hard time just showing up. <laughs> and now you're wanting me yeah. to do all of these interviews and, I don't know. And when you listen to this podcast or you read a leadership book, I'm a big fan of keep it simple. You know, choose one thing or lean on another person. 
ask someone to help you out. You know, if status interviews, is that something you could do? Or is that something that resonates within something that could help the organization? Well, then maybe put the first counselor over doing that. You know, be willing to delegate some of the response. It's not just all on you. Yeah, take a breath. One thing, choose one thing. Yeah. And little by little, a little becomes a lot. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's uh, my constant fear with some of these interviews. Like, hey, we're just exploring this concept. Like, you just let it wash over you and then maybe get the book if it incur- if, if it's something you want to dive into and then go sit with it and say, hmm, I like that one principle and I'll try that. But uh, the rest of the stuff I'm not going to worry about right now. Yeah. And that's okay, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, consistency yeah. in one thing is a lot better than inconsistency in 400 things you're trying to do. Yeah, true that. All right, what uh, this concept you talk about, the importance of everyone knowing the organization's core values that... Again, it seems like this is further down the road. Like once you've sort of established that connection, that mentorship, that the community, the the positive culture, then you bring in the core values that can sort of ignite the momentum to to move forward with with things. But I mean, how would you introduce this as far as what you found with effectiveness of core values of organizations? Yeah, and you usually find this a lot on the stake level, where the stake has a vision for the stake. Like this is our mm-hmm. overarching theme. These are our our goals and where we want to go. I think on award level, though, there's there's power in supporting that stake level and creating a vision that is simple, but it's also memorable. We talk about it at the at first of the year, here's our new goal or here's our new vision. But if I were to go into your stake and ask the members of, of the ward or the stake on the stake level and say, hey, what's the goal? What's the mission statement of the stake? Dude, I guarantee yeah. you 95% of those members are going to be like, I don't know, duh, keep the commandments. Uh-huh, duh. Uh, <laughs> Do come follow right, me. Come follow, right, yeah, right. right? Like they, most <laughs> yeah. people don't know because the, the vision statements are 52 pages long or it's, you know, full of 30 scriptures and quotes and what Alma said and why Moses emphasized this. And I, again, retention, retention, retention. How can we help people retain and keep the main thing, the main thing? And so again, keep it simple. One thing, what's one thing? And then for the next month in sacrament meeting, make the talks themed around that. And then as the bishop, right, you get up and you talk about it and you say, hey, remember, brothers and sisters, our focus is on individuals in our war. That's what we're focusing on. And so today we're going to talk about the parable of the one. Because remember, that's our focus as a ward. That is what we were striving to do together. You've done your part. You've researched. you talked to the ward council. you listen to the needs, what everybody's wanting. Where can we take the ship, right? So then how do we keep it simple and memorable? where it's actually retained to where if you could go in your ward and say, hey, what's our focus as a ward family? Uh, we focus on people here in this ward. That's what yeah. we do. And I know, you know, it's one of those things that as a bishop who's newly called like that, that thing doesn't have to last through all five years of your your service. It could be for the next nine months, we're going to focus on yes. people and, you know, then yes. we're going to move on to something else yes. or, you know, it's always changing. But or revelation and keys and all that happens. And if you're, if you're prompted or guided to do another direction, then great. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And then some reflective questions in here that just thought, I thought they're so helpful because one of the biggest, the biggest hurdles in leadership, I feel like is self-awareness and just being like, cause you can go, you can lead, you can do go through the motions, you can do your thing and you feel like, huh, pretty good leader. I mean, things like people are enjoying being here and this is great. I'll just keep doing more of what I'm doing. And then on the other side, people are thinking, like, this is kind of frustrating. He confuses me a lot or, you know, and so these questions you put in the book, uh, when I come into work or when I come to church, how do my ward members experience me? How do they experience themselves 
when they are with me? And that's like, man, any leader can just sit with those questions and invite revelation because there's a lot that can come from that. Yeah. I, it's easy. Like in, in management, in the workplace, it's really sad because a lot of managers will do one-on-one meetings and they sit in front of an employee and they say, you know, what can I do better for you as a manager? And what the employee hmm. says is, you know, no, no, man, it's, it's cool, dude. You're doing great and we're doing awesome. And yeah, man, it's chill. What he's actually thinking in their mind is you constantly micromanage me. You undervalue me. Every time there's a win on the team, you take the credit. Every time there's a loss, you blame us. And I'm honestly looking for another job. That's what they're really wanting to say. And again, sometimes it's more extreme than others, but we don't create this an environment where we can get regular feedback. And one of the great things that I found that leaders did is they first off admitted that they are not perfect. (laughs) They admitted that they're going to make mistakes But they also created an environment where they were welcome to feedback. Again, they're building relationships where there's trust. And then they say, listen, I need to know what I can do better. I'm not here for fluff. I'm not here for you to also rag on me. But what can I do to get better? What can I do to really help you? And it's hard because there's not a lot of incentive there for people to be honest all the time. But I think, again, as a leader, if you can be open to that, And you're regularly asking for that. You don't want to decrease your confidence and your influence, right? You are still the leader. You have keys. You have the authority. You have the revelation that is given to you. That's important. But also, I think it dehumanizes somewhat of the ego that comes with leadership or this sense of like, I'm killing it. I'm doing great. This is what we're doing and it's working. My whole business, my whole industry, what I do for a living is based off of this principle where a leader has this perception, but the reality of the ward members are completely different. And it's most of the time a lot because they're just not open to feedback. A lot of good leaders, they know what they need to do, but they don't know what they need to stop doing. And I think if we can open up that window where that conversation can happen, it allows you to be better. And so you're saying that you learn about those things you can stop doing by having some of these these more open, real conversations. Yeah. And keeping the schedule more simple, right? Like we're really good as leaders at creating the to-do list. Start making a to-don't list. Try stopping. How do we cut our meetings in half? are we having this meeting just because I'm supposed to have this meeting or I'm just checking off the box or is it really because it needs to happen? Can this be sent through email? Can I do this through Slack? Can I send this as a text? Do I really need to get 12 people together to talk about this? Simplify it. Give yourself the freedom and the time. How do you expect to connect with people when you are trying to boil the ocean as a leader? You can't. You can't. Ward members spell function and mentorship T-I-M-E, right? They can't spell that well, but that's how they spell it. And if we're so busy, how do we give time? Yeah, I love that. And one, one example as far as the to-don't list is, and it's interesting how you like, if you frame it right, like people have a hard time arguing with that boundary you've created. So for example, being a bishop in the inner city ward, when somebody had a, a welfare request, you know, maybe in a more traditional ward, they would just set a point with a bishop. They'd have a conversation about, hey, I need help with rent or whatever. But I had so many welfare requests that if I did that, it would consume my whole time, Absolutely. right? And so my executive secretary, when someone would call to set an appointment with me, he would ask them, is this about anything related to uh, finances or welfare? And if they said yes, he's like, oh, well, great. I'm glad you mentioned that because you actually need to meet with one of our service missionaries for them to do an assessment. Because if you met with Bishop Franken, there's really nothing he could do at this point. And so you'll just have to meet with, with them. And so that was my to don't like, I don't meet with people about welfare. Like I've, that's what the service missionaries do or the welfare specialist or whoever you want to call. 
and it was like this rule, like, oh, that just doesn't happen. It's not like the bishop doesn't want to meet with you. That's just not how the system goes. And they're like, oh, okay, well, then give me their phone number. I'll call them. Yeah, you created boundaries. Yeah, good leaders know what they need to do. Great leaders know what they need to stop. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. I will just throw in a caveat here. You do, you have a great story about Rob Farrell, who is the most downloaded episode in the history of Leading Saints. He's a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. And uh, anyway, shout out for Rob Farrell. The story itself about story his dental Peter office Mann. is, it's no surprise. He was a very similar stake president. So that, there's your teaser there for the, the Rob Farrell story. There's this concept I want to talk about that the leader who, maybe you can tell the story, the leader who sort of came to her people and said, we've got to raise this much money and this much time. Do you remember that story? Yeah. Yeah. And they were in a dire situation and she came to everybody and she just said, honestly, hey, our company's in a rough spot and we need your help. And I don't want to lay people off. I don't want this to get crazy, but I, I just, I need to be real with you. And this is the situation. And that kind of honesty, that vulnerability created a sense of ownership in helping people rally together to solve the problem. And she kind of put this call center together and they were calling out clients that owed them money. And that was the issue within the company. And they made it a game. They kind of gamified the whole process. And all of a sudden, all of the employees who were marketers or in sales or in advertising or HR were rallying together to solve a problem. And everybody would ping a bell when they would, they would get a sale or someone would commit to making a payment. And it was just cool to see how that leader created a sense of ownership where it's not just always about the leader standing in front and, and leading, but it's, again, invoking others to contribute to the cause in a way where they get to drive the car a little bit. You know, I share the story in the book about yeah. my dad who on the way from church, home from church, he would let me sit in the seat and drive. And he gave me a sense uh -huh. of ownership. Yes, I didn't have total complete control of the car, but for that moment, I, I saw it differently. I looked at the process, the experience through different eyes because I was holding this to yeah. well. This is such an important concept that can easily be missed in our, in our faith tradition because and sometimes we assume that as leaders, our role is to, we've been ordained with, uh, with authority to receive inspiration that will give us answers of how to move forward. But oftentimes, in all my leadership experience, I have found that that authority often gives you inspiration to articulate what the problem is. Yes. And then once you figure out what the problem is, you take it to your people and say, here's the problem. Yes. Anybody got any ideas, yes. right? And I saw this in in motions. It was one of the biggest blessings of my time as a bishop when the thing that kept me up at night was that we have, you know, we're in a transient area. We have all these people, all these families on the rolls, and we don't even know who they are. Are they there? Have they moved? And so I brought that to the ward and we began to work together and talk about unity. I mean, it just brought everybody together. We got the, we figured it out and moved on, but it was such a sanctifying process. And I talked to so many people and it breaks my heart where they're you know, they're not aspiring for a leadership role. And in fact, they don't necessarily have time for it, but they feel like, you know, I've talked with people saying, I haven't sat on the ward council in 15 years. And I feel like my perspective and opinion doesn't even get asked around here. You know, like at least in those meetings, people can raise their hand, bring up concerns, but me, I just have to show up and go with whatever the ward council has decided. And so when you create this, this culture where somehow people can, give their input and say, this is what I'm seeing. And, and I don't even have a, have a calling, but I want this word to succeed. And, and I want to be, I want to be a part of it. I want to be part of the solution, yes. but I don't want to wait around for a specific calling to do that. Just let's work together in it. Yeah. And you widen your perspective as a leader. I think in the church, sometimes we think revelation is just between you and God, it's you and God. 
but I do, maybe this call this false doctrine or whatever you want to call it, but I believe this in my life and I have seen this in my life and I received revelation from other people. You know, in our research, we found that great, that people in the workplace found purpose in their job. The number one contributing factor on how they found that was through the association and connection with other purposeful people. For example, I've learned to be a better leader through my association with Rob Farrell, hands down. He has guided me and directed me and helped me to become a better leader for my people through his guidance. Now, is that direct revelation from God? Uh, Maybe not direct revelation between me and God. However, I do believe that God works through other people to help guide you, right? We know that. That is a principle in the gospel that there's physical and spiritual angels and some of those angels are physical and they guide you to see differently. And I think when we remember that we can receive revelation and inspiration from others, it widens our perspective and our influence as a leader. Yeah. So powerful. Awesome. Some of the quotes, I, I'll just rattle these off here and people can uh, take it for what it is. I don't know if I mentioned this one. Don't we all want to feel valued in a place where we spend so much of our time? You know, obviously in the workplace, that's huge. But don't we all want to feel valued in our ward, like in the place where we go and try and commune with the divine? Like we want to feel valued there. I love that. Finding out that what a potential employee wants to achieve is an important part of determining whether they're a good fit for the job. I think we talked about that. This one quote I should have read earlier, but one of the root causes of turnover today is that younger workers aren't afraid to leave. For them, a job has to be fair, a win-win situation, or there's no deal. They will get up and walk away. And man, there's a lot there that relates to the, the younger generation with church. Like, if there's not some some values there, some of their core values they're seeing, like they'll never get to the core doctrines that can bless their lives so much, right? Yeah. It's important to ask yourself, you know, what does our ward, what do we as a church, what do we offer that Google can't? Yeah. What do you offer that Google can't? Things like spiritual experiences, things like connection, real connection, things like moments. The number one thing still to this day that youth ask or that they wish they had more of in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is that, not everyone, but, but the common trend is I wish I felt the Spirit more. I wish I felt the Spirit more. Google can't provide that. TikTok cannot provide that. Facebook cannot provide that. The Spirit is the only thing that can provide that. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's worth considering. It's worth considering. <laughs> uh, this quote that I had to set the book down and, and take a breather here, but what will happen if you don't invest in your people? They'll leave anyway. Or worse, they'll mentally quit and stay. Oh my yeah. Like that's like, man, what what could be worse than than leaving than them just disengaging mentally, than just showing up to church and just saying, I'm here, wins it over, right? I mean, that is just cancer for an organization. And it's not the individual's problem. At least it's not all their problem. It start it can goes back to leadership to say, what can we do differently so that they don't mentally quit? And then this great one, we'll, we'll wrap it up with, with this one. It's not about getting your employees to, to say, I love it here. It's also about getting them to say, I love who I am while I'm here. And man, isn't that the dream of every leader in the church? Like, we're glad you're here. But more, more importantly, when you come to church, like, you feel like you're becoming something great, like becoming more like the divine. And man, that is, that's the gospel for me. That's why I'm still engaged and on this journey is who I'm becoming. Right? And that is like the most beautiful part of all of this. I think we can look at a calling sometimes in leadership and see all the meetings, all of the phone calls, all of the follow-up, all of the admin. But I also, I mean, 
man, there is a beautiful side to this that is remarkable. And, and it's the leaders that made those types of differences. They understood that. They understood that role in the lives that they played in other people. I had a, a bishop that was the most instrumental person in my life. And I asked him, I said, what was your favorite part of being a bishop? And he said, it was always the best when the light bulb would turn on. He's like, when I was able to connect and to love somebody and that light bulb turned on and they realized that the Savior loved them too. So that is why I'm a bishop. That is why I love church leadership. And yeah, he still had to do the meetings. Yes, there was still the admin, but also there was the opportunity to turn the light bulb on where somebody liked themselves best because they associated with you. And through that association, they came closer to Christ. There's no greater calling. There's no greater privilege in my mind than to connect somebody with Christ. And when you do that, you become connected to Christ as well. And that is the beauty of your role as a leader in this gospel. Love it. All right, Clint, I got one more question for you. But before we do that, if people want to connect with you, I know you do a lot of corporate speaking. Maybe do you do firesides? Where can they get the book? Uh, Obviously, not that you do a fireside on the book. I don't know. Maybe you got one. I don't know. But uh, maybe just give us your rundown of where people connect to you and how how you can serve them. Yeah, they can find out more at clintpulver.com. It's the website. And then I'm on Instagram, Clint Pulver on Instagram. And the book is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Just type in, I love it here or Clint Pulver. And yeah, pre-order a copy. I appreciate all of the support. And I appreciate you, Kurt, and for having me on the show. Yeah. And when does it drop? It releases April 13th all over all oh, the cool. world. So April 13th, it'll be, it'll be everywhere. Cool. Well, I confidently give it my endorsement to whatever that means. Uh, this would be a great book. I mean, you want just sort of a fun little book club with your ward council or some of your leaders, like take one, one chapter at a time and, and talk about it. And there's some principles here that could really help you uh, self-assess and say, you know, what are we missing here? What, how do people interact with us as, as a leader? So fantastic book. So my last question for you, Clint, is as you've gone through this research, as you've written, you know, this leadership book, how has writing this leadership book helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? I think it's allowed me to see the perspective into what really matters to people. And I look at my life as a member of the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and some of the greatest influences in the times that I have felt the spirit the most is when great leaders got to the part about me. You know, it wasn't so much about ticking off the box or making sure that I was worthy or I was doing everything that I, I needed to do to be perfect. It was, are you taken care of as a person? And I value you as a person. And so does Christ. And when I saw them get to the part about me, it allowed me to realize that Christ was also getting to the part about me. Everything that Christ does is for us. It's about getting to the part about us and how we can become something more through him. That's what I've learned. And, uh, It's been a beautiful experience. That concludes my interview with Clint Pulver. Big shout out to him for allowing me to throw some questions at him. His book is great. I hope you come across. I I don't mean to hype it up too much, but it really is just a solid book that would be so helpful for any leader out there, even if you're just a parent. You know, don't you want your kids to say, I love it here when they're at home? There's some principles there that can even help in in a home. So check it out. Drops in April, like he said. Uh, Really well done. I would love to hear of any other book you're reading that the author I could reach out to and maybe do an interview. They don't even have to be a Latter-day Saint. You know, I've interviewed a lot of authors who are, have researched or thought about different principles that apply to our uh, leadership experience. So go to leadingsaints.org contact and let us know who we should be reaching out to to include on this, uh, this podcast. We'd love to hear it. 
And remember, if you know someone who'd be a great fit for the How I Lead segment, go to leadingsaints.org contact and submit your suggestion. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the only, and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.